worship together. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from that grave. My God still. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars. Now we're forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that? Let's pray and then we'll have announcements. God, we ask uh, you to be in this place in a special way today. That for a moment we would get silent before you. 
God, I'm sure in this room with this many people, there are needs in people's hearts today. God, I pray they would give those over to you even right now. God, that you would be in this place in a very special way, that we would feel your presence, that, God, you would speak through our pastor as we sing the songs Jonathan's prepared, God, that we would sing them to you, and that this would be about worship today. God, we do continue to pray for the Ford family uh, this week and the funeral with uh, Aaron's funeral. God, we thank you that the gospel went forward. We pray that people heard it and were convicted by the Holy Spirit and made decisions to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus, that God, you would speak to their hearts. God, just be in this service in a special way, and we ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. I want to welcome everyone to our service this morning. If you're a guest of ours, please take one of the care cards. They're located there in the pew rack just in front of you. If you would fill in your information on the back as a place where you can uh, request information about our church, and we get those and try to get that information in your hands. Uh, and then also for all of us on the back of the care cards, a place for prayer requests. We do get those. We want to hear from you, our church family, and we do pray for you. So take a moment to fill those in. As you leave today, there are giving boxes on either side of the double door as you leave. You can place it in those slots, and our ladies will make sure that gets to the right uh, people. So thank you again for being here with us today. All of our students and teachers went back to school uh, last week, and as a church, we've been challenged to pray for each one of them by name and to also get to know who they are. Uh, those prayer booklets are available at the info desk. If you did not get one in the lobby, please stop by and get one. Uh, you can also adopt a student. We've added that to it. They've got cards back there, and that would be to take that card and pray for that student this entire year. And so we want to challenge you to go by and do that uh, and get more information at the information desk in the lobby. Uh, Awana Open House is this Wednesday night at 6.30 in the core. Find out where your child will be, what they need, and it, uh, what they'll be doing, and find out how you can be a part and help volunteer uh, with Awana this year. Uh, that, that happens on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and always a great time for our students. August 26th is our Saturday of Hope here at the church. It begins at 8 o'clock with breakfast, uh, and then there are projects on and off campus. Uh, students are encouraged to come third grade and up and they can help on projects as long as the parent is there to help supervise and we normally finish most of those projects around noon sometimes there's ones that go a little longer for building a ramp or whatever that goes a little longer but anyway always a great time to serve uh, the community and help get some of Robbie our maintenance guy his list is like a honeydew list on steroids some of that checked off so if you can come help us and the breakfast is always great, beginning at 8 o'clock. So uh, plan to be here uh, and be part of that. Guys, that's a great chance, too, to get to know people in our church. Uh, corporate worship is great. We need this right here to come. But when we do projects and things uh, like that, it's when you really get to know the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you to come and, and get to know some new people. We've got some great people here at Pitts Baptist Church. And then just to save the date, we do have a church-wide picnic. We haven't done this for a while. And uh, COVID hit and all that. We stopped doing that, but we're, we're going to do it again. A churchwide picnic at Frank Lisk Park on Sunday, September 24th. If you'll put that in your calendars, be listening for more details. That's always a, a fan favorite here at the church, so plan to be there with us. Jonathan, you come and lead us in.
Let's just worship him this morning. Sing with me. Jesus, we love, we worship To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross. the power of the cross Christ became sin for us He took the blame bore the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross to see the pain written on your face bearing the awesome weight of sin every little thought every evil deed crowning your blood the
Good singing uh, this morning. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Our series through the Gospel of Mark is marching along quickly, nearing the end now. Uh, in the final weeks of, of this series, uh, looking today at the subject matter, the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. The suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. As Kevin mentioned at the beginning, please continue to pray for the Ford family, also other families in our church that are going through uh, hardships and illness uh, during this time. And uh, pray for the students as they've gone back uh, to school and for the teachers and administrators. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Mark chapter 15. The suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. Mark writes, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. 
So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Lord, may we give heed to the invitation that we find in Isaiah 55. That while you are near, that we would come to you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful invitations you give us in your word. We thank you for sending your son to die for us that we might have eternal life and through him might have a relationship with you. Lord, I know that uh, many have said this, but it's true that though grace is free, it was not cheap because Jesus laid down his life for us. May we comprehend that better today. And God, I pray that you would move us from apathy and complacency to a full heart's surrender. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in John chapter 15, when Jesus was spending some last moments in the upper room with his disciples, he said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world persecutes you. Because you can know that the, ma- uh, the servant is not greater than the master. If they have hated me, they will also hate you. And if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. 
Now, almost all commentators agree that Mark's gospel is written to the church who is living in Rome and they are already suffering persecution at the hands of the Romans. Now, while the crucifixion is certainly the point to which the gospel progresses, Mark also wanted the early church to understand just how much Jesus himself suffered. And folks, you and I need to realize suffering is not an unusual thing in the Christian life. In fact, I read just this week of two pastors in East Africa who have been imprisoned now in terrible conditions for 19 years. They were never charged officially with any crimes. They were never told exactly why they were being arrested. But they were just simply arrested and thrown in prison. And there they have been for 19 years and they are still sitting, wasting away in an African prison. Suffering around the globe is not unusual even today. Now in these verses in Mark 15, we find that the scene is the very morning of the day Christ was crucified. Just the night before, he was arrested. He had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden where Jesus was praying and the disciples were sleeping, Jesus was arrested after being betrayed. It was a hurried time. Great haste is being taken by the Jewish leaders so that the Lord of glory would breathe his last breath before the Sabbath began. But on the other hand, here's Pilate. He's telling the people that he can find no basis for a charge against Jesus. Pilate is asking the people, what crime has he committed? It's interesting to see the various personalities in Mark chapter 15. The religious leaders are trying to secure Jesus' death. They felt threatened. They were jealous of Jesus. They didn't like how Jesus made them look. And so there they are on the one hand. You know, it kind of reminds me of the, the true story of a missionary years ago who encountered a tribal leader. The tribal leader visited the missionary and saw himself in a small mirror that the missionary had hung on a tree trunk. The tribal leader had his face all painted up. And he looked into the mirror and saw himself and he saw this hostile looking face looking back at him. And he said to the missionary, how in the world did you get that mean man inside of that tree? Well, the missionary took the mirror off the tree and handed it to the tribal leader and said, Sir, this is your face, look. 
And the tribal leader wanted to buy the mirror, not wanting to sell the mirror. The, the tribal leader, though, kept insisting he wanted the mirror. And the missionary finally decided he would probably end up compromising his missionary work if he didn't just let the, the tribal leader have the mirror. Uh, and so he gave it to him, and the tribal leader insisted he was going to give him something for it, which he did. And when the tribal leader got in possession of the mirror himself, immediately he smashed it to pieces. The missionary asked him why. He said, because I want to do away with that ugly, mean face in the mirror. Well, that's how the religious leaders are here. If they could smash Jesus, so to speak, maybe they thought they could improve their own image. But, of course, they remain the same. So there they are on the one hand, and here's Pilate on the other hand. He's a confused little sad pawn in a scenario that's much bigger than himself, and he doesn't even understand what's happening. And then there's Jesus, silent, suffering, submissive to the Father's plan. His life is in God's hands. And he's accomplishing the purpose for which he came. Now other gospel writers point out that at the crowd's insistence, Pilate had Jesus flogged. Believing if he did that, that alone, that would satisfy the bloodthirsty crowd. Mark just sort of briefly mentions it there in verse 15. The soldiers had put a crown of thorn upon Jesus' head. They'd stripped him of his clothes. They had begun to mock him. And again, Pilate says, what crime has this man done? You know, there's several things in the passage I want us to look at this morning. The suffering of Jesus on the one hand, then the shout of the crowd, and then the shame of a coward. Focus again with me for a moment on the suffering of Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says, As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. In, in verse 3, it says the chief priest accused him of many things. Then you look down at verse 14. Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then beginning there in verse 16, it says the soldiers led him away inside the palace. And this is where they began all these scenes of... Of uh, mocking Jesus. You know Isaiah the prophet had said centuries before. Writing of the suffering servant. The Messiah when he came. In his first advent. Isaiah said of Jesus. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised 
and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Folks, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. No one has ever suffered like Jesus. You might object to that and say, but pastor, lots of people have suffered. They've suffered horrible things at the hands of cruel men. How can you say that no one has ever suffered like Jesus? Because you've got to remember on top of all of this being done to him at the hands of men, Jesus is actually bearing the wrath of a holy God against sin. And so Jesus is taking on all of that as well. Now let's trace his steps of suffering. In the garden he was obedient. And yet there in the garden, he was, he was betrayed. He had been hunted down like an animal. And, and Judas led the authorities there. And Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And he was captured and bound. He was denied by one of his own. That had to be especially painful the way that Peter had denied him three times. He was unfairly interrogated. He was struck. He was falsely accused. He was rejected. He was condemned. He was scourged. Flogging was so serious that sometimes crucifixion was even unnecessary because the victim would die from scourging. You see, they would walk the victim up to a wall that had a peg in it or a pole with a peg and they would tie their hands together and they would lift their hands up high to the peg. They would lift their hands up so high that the victim would be lifted off of their heels. And what that would do would make the skin on the back and, and, and the, the, the muscle tissue and everything, it would make it tight that the victim would be stretched out. And then the person doing the flogging would use a whip that had pieces of metal and bone woven in to the, to the leather ends of the strap. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells of victims who were flogged until internal organs and intestines would literally spill out of the person's torso and hang out of the body. Major arteries would be cut. Massive blood loss would occur. And again, oftentimes, from the flogging post, they did not even have to crucify the individual because they would die from the severity of the flogging. And Scripture seems to indicate that the flogging of Jesus was particularly severe. And then he was led away to be crucified. Jesus' suffering was purposeful. It was for our redemption. He died as your substitute and as my substitute. 
And so we really need to ask ourselves, is there proper gratitude on our part towards Jesus for what he suffered? Folks, as we think about the suffering of Jesus, there ought to be a life-changing aspect to it. Just knowing what he went through to pay the price for our redemption. It ought to move us out of apathy and complacency. It ought to move us to a full heart and life surrender. His suffering was also practical. Not only was it for our redemption, but I want you to understand today that it means that the Lord Jesus understands our suffering because, again, no one's ever suffered like him. No one understands you the way he does. You may be going through some terrible hardship in your life right now. And I can assure you Jesus knows all about it. He can identify with it. He is our sympathetic high priest. We don't come to a God who is distant and aloof. Folks, he's everything we're not. He's immutable, he's unchanging, he's eternal, he's he's infinite, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. Yes, he's transcendent, he's other than us, but while he's transcendent, he's also imminent, he's near to us. He has entered into human existence. So he can know all about our suffering, our heartaches, our trials, our losses. He knows all about it. He's experienced it. And he's with us. He's near. And this ought to prompt us to constantly go before the Lord in prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says we can cast all of our care upon him for he cares for us. You can cast all your care upon him today because he cares for you. And you can put your own name in that blank. You can go before him in your weakness, in your loss, in your suffering, in your trials and hardships. Because he's been there. He's suffered. And then we see the shout of the crowd there beginning in verse 11. Here were the enemies of Jesus. But no doubt within the enemies of Jesus, there had to be a pretty good multitude there of voices who only weeks before had been in the crowd following him. Remember how in Matthew chapter 5, before Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, when he's on that hillside in Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee, uh, we're told that, there, there was a huge crowd, such a huge crowd. Jesus went up on that elevated mount and he began teaching the crowd. On another occasion it says that the crowds were pushing on him so heavily he was going to be crushed. So he had to get in a little boat and he had to push the boat away from the shoreline so that the crowds wouldn't push in upon him. There were so many people there. Some of those people had to be in this crowd of enemies now. And they're angry. Why in the world are they angry? 
because Jesus hasn't carried out their expectations. He hasn't done everything the way they thought the Messiah was supposed to do. They thought the Messiah was going to come in and immediately relieve them of the Roman yoke of oppression over them. And when he didn't act the way they expected, they joined in with the religious leaders who were jealous of Jesus and they all decide together to have him crucified. Because again, they just wanted this immediate relief from the Romans. But folks, Jesus didn't come to just give us a band-aid of immediate relief. He came to give us eternal relief, eternal life. He came to address a bigger problem. If they could have only understood that, oh, he'll come again and, and, and rule. And even now the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father and he's reigning and ruling. But it wasn't his purpose in his first advent to come and immediately set up some reign there on David's throne in Jerusalem. He came to address a bigger problem than our outer circumstances. He came to address the need of our heart, our lives to be reconciled to God because our sin has created a great gulf between us and God. He came to address that. That had to be taken care of first. Are you angry at God for some reason maybe or disappointed at God? Maybe you're like some of these folks here. Jesus hasn't done something in your life on your timetable the way you wanted it done. Or maybe he hadn't done anything at all the way you would have written the script. Maybe you feel like he's allowed something in your life that just seems so unfair. And from a human vantage point, it may be unfair. You may be disappointed with God. Maybe God didn't reach in and just fix something and turn something right around. And I want to assure you, He cares about all those uh, circumstances. He cares. He cares what was going on with the people of, of this day. But again, he's got bigger purposes in our lives that had to be taken care of first. The folks in the crowd didn't need to let the immediate blind them from the bigger purpose of what God was doing. God may have a bigger purpose in your suffering too. So here they are shouting, they're angry, they're yelling, they're angry at the very one who came to save them. You know, there's a song that says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And that's true, isn't it? But now they don't seem to care. They don't care what's happening to Jesus here. We live in a world that doesn't care. Some years ago, 11 bystanders watched a young woman being raped on the streets of New York City. No one stepped in to help her. Reporters got a hold of it and asked one of them later, why didn't anybody step in to help her? And he answered, because we didn't know her. We see every day the coldness in the world. And we see how cruel people can be. 
No doubt you remember again some years ago when a couple of guys in Texas went on trial for dragging a man to death behind their pickup truck simply because they didn't like the color of his skin. Folks, we live in a cruel world. Look at the cruel things they did to Jesus. If anybody didn't deserve this kind of treatment, it was Jesus who didn't deserve this. And yet, here they are doing all this to him. Jesus had done nothing but good for for people. They'd lowered a man down through the roof on one occasion, on on his mat, and Jesus healed him. On another occasion, the parents with the little girl, Jesus got there and they said, it's too late, she's dead. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only asleep. They laughed at him. He had everybody put out of the room other than her parents. And he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she arose. He healed lepers that lived a hopeless existence. Jesus had done so many wonderful things for people. And just look here at what they're doing to him. But I want to say to you amidst all the disappointed shouts at the Savior. And amongst all the angry shouts at him. That they were hearing. Jesus was steadfast and true about accomplishing that bigger reason for which he had come. Don't you know it would have been so easy for him to call on the angels. And and just to say I'm not going to do this. But he endured all this because he cares. He went to the cross. Many of you have done the study before in the past. uh, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Remember Henry Blackaby tells the story in that course about their daughter Carrie. Uh, When she was a young lady, she had terrible cancer. And he was beginning to ask why. And finally, one day, he was just so impressed that he shouldn't ask. That He said, Father, don't ever let me question your love for us again. Help me to see the backdrop of the cross. When I see my circumstances and my daughter's circumstances, help me to see the cross as the backdrop to it all. Don't ever let me question your love for us again. We need to see that. This crowd needed to see that. They needed to see the bigger purposes that Jesus was up to. Of course, they could. We're we're able to because we look back on this. The third thing I want you to notice, though, is the shame of a coward. Again, verse 15. Uh, uh, here's Pilate. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Folks, what a pitiful little character Pilate is. Here's a man just tossed to and fro by the opinions of the day. Doesn't seem to really have any convictions of his own. He wasn't willing to do the right thing. He wasn't even willing to give Jesus a fair interview. He was a friend of the world. 
James reminds us in James chapter 4, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Paul said the same thing in the book of Philippians. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly or their appetites and whose glory is in their shame. Who set their minds on earthly things. That's what Pilate is doing. Pilate is setting his mind on earthly things. Pilate didn't care about the people, really. He certainly didn't care about Jesus. Really, all Pilate cared about was himself. Pilate is doing all of this to look good in the eyes of the people. Again, not just because he's supporting them, but because he wants their support. He doesn't want to offend the multitudes and the religious leaders. The first record of Pilate in office comes from the autumn of A.D. 26. He was preparing to visit Jerusalem for his first time. He sent troops ahead of him who entered Jerusalem at night carrying large banners with the image of the Roman emperor on the banners. The Jews forbade all such images and all previous procurators had respected the Jews wishes in this but Pilate there at the beginning of his rule over the Jews he wanted to rub their noses in Roman rule and show them or try to show them what a tough guy he was gonna be a large number of Jews went to Caesarea in protest and surrounded Pilate's headquarters. For five days they demanded of him that the banners be removed. On day six, Pilate decided to meet with them finally, but it was a trick. He surrounded them with his troops, threatening to kill them. The crowd simply bore their necks to him and said, go ahead. This is a hill we're willing to die on rather than compromise our convictions about graven images. In embarrassment, Pilate had his troops back down. He made blunders like this all the time with the Jews to the point that Emperor Tiberius reprimanded him and finally in AD 36 Pilate was simply removed from office and, and replaced uh, according to the fourth century uh, church historian Eusebius after Pilate was removed from office his life spiraled downhill so much to the point that he finally took his own life so Pilate wasn't concerned about the Jews and he certainly didn't care about Jesus. He could have cared less. He's just trying to prop himself up. He's not concerned with fairness. He's not concerned with justice. He knew these charges were false. He knew Jesus was innocent. And yet he went along with the crowd and he gave the crowd what they wanted even though he knew in his heart of hearts it wasn't right.
Have you given God a fair shake in your life? Don't laugh at Pilate if you're the same way. Are you willing to examine Jesus and really look at who he truly is? If you will, I think you'll be like Peter who said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Pilate's mistake was that he thought he could do absolutely nothing with Jesus. He thought he could just sort of remain neutral in this without making any kind of decision. And put all this off on others. And he was going to come out of this looking okay. You know, there's a, there's a famous painter's portrait of Pilate that has Pilate in hell to this day. Leaning over that basin of water. Remember how in the Gospels it says he, he tried to wash, he, he washed his hands, said my hands are clean of this. Pilate's in hell just eternally trying to wash Jesus' blood off his hands and he can't get it off. It's there to stay. You can't remain neutral about Christ. You can't. Neutrality is a decision. It's a rejection. It's cowardly. It's time for the people of God to take a stand and live for Christ. Boy, we live in a culture today about so many things, they just want the church to be neutral. Go along to get along. We have to take a stand for things. You can't remain neutral about the things of God. But I also want you to think about Barabbas here. You know, he's a curious figure in this, isn't he? You kind of wonder, why is somebody like Barabbas, why, why does he occupy so many words in Mark's telling about what went on with Jesus here? Why is, why is Barabbas, you, you would just think Barabbas would maybe just be a passing reference and he'd move on. But Mark really emphasizes a lot about, about him. You know why? Why is Barabbas laid in this story alongside of Jesus? Because I think Barabbas is a picture of us. He's a picture of the gospel. The innocent one takes the punishment. The guilty one goes free. That's what's going on here. Barabbas should have been the one to die. He's the one that deserved to die. He should have been hung on the cross along with the other two criminals. Instead, he goes free while Jesus is put there instead. Folks, the, and the truth of the matter is, if God, I mean, Barabbas deserved this. But... Again, he was set free. Aren't, aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? The guilty go free in Christ? I mean, just take some time to read Romans chapter 3. There's none righteous. No, not one. And Paul says, not even one. I mean, he emphasizes that all together we've gone astray. Jew and Gentile alike. 
And we try to justify ourselves with good deeds and works of the law and this and that. And none of it will work. Lost men, they set aside the righteousness of God and choose their own righteousness. It doesn't work. And, and Paul points out how God has put forth Christ as the atoning sacrifice for the guilty. In Christ, the guilty go free. Now, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying Barabbas became a free man, free man in the sense of salvation. Please don't hear me say that. Because I don't believe Barabbas was changed at all. But in our, he's just a picture of us on one level of how the guilty go free. And Christ takes your punishment and mine. Today, you're in Pilate's shoes. We've all been in Pilate's shoes. And you have to make a choice. You can't leave it up to others. You see, it was also your sins and my sins that put Jesus on the cross. If you were to look at Rembrandt's painting of the three crosses, that's a, a famous painting of his, your attention would be, of course, on the center cross where Christ is hanging, you would then observe the crowd gathered around the foot of the cross and the different expressions that Rembrandt has on their faces. Finally, maybe your eyes would go to the edge of the uh, uh, portrait and, and you would see a figure there in the shadows. Some art critics say that was Rembrandt putting himself into the crowd at the cross, showing that his sins also or what put Jesus on the cross. And that's true. All of our sins put Jesus on the cross. What does the suffering of Jesus demand of us? There's a song that says, When I survey the wondrous cross, it, it, it Begins that way, it ends by saying, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lesson number one, word of application for us today. You can't remain neutral when it comes to Christ. Secondly, maybe you need to focus in on the shouts of the crowd. Again, they're angry. Jesus didn't do what they expected. Maybe today I'm talking to somebody who's disappointed with God. Maybe you're even angry at God. God hasn't acted in your life the way you think he should. He's allowed something in your life you don't think he should have allowed. Why you? You're asking, why me, God? And we need to understand his ways are higher than our ways. Instead of bitterness, we need to ask, God, what is it you're trying to say to me through this? And what do you want me to do in response to this? Folks, we serve a sovereign God. God knows what your circumstances are and he has a purpose in them. So lesson number two, beware of disappointment with God when he doesn't act like you think he should. 
Finally, how long has it been since you took a long, honest look at the suffering of the Savior? He suffered incredibly for us. What's your response? Lesson three, the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins surely deserves a life of surrender to Him. Father, we thank you for this chapter. Again, if we were writing this story, I doubt we would ever have the Savior suffering. We wouldn't have him being crucified. We wouldn't have him being mocked. So oftentimes, we don't even think this way. We think of the good guy riding in at the last moment. He conquers everything and... Everything works out. But yet, Lord, in the Bible, we do indeed see that your ways are higher than our ways. There was a different purpose in the first advent of the Messiah. He came to die. If only they would have paid attention to what the prophet Isaiah had said about the suffering servant they were blind to your word what your word had taught them for centuries God help us today not to be blind to what you've done what you are doing and what you will do Lord help us to be grateful for what you've done and are doing in our lives help us to be surrendered God, I pray that we wouldn't act cowardly, that we wouldn't try to act with neutrality, that we wouldn't act with disappointment or anger, but Lord, that we would be submissive to you, surrendered to you in all things. May we put our lives into your hands. And may we live lives of gratitude. Not apathy or complacency, but gratitude. Because of the magnitude of what you went, went through, what the innocent went through, so that the guilty can be made free. In Christ's name we pray.